You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, it is. It's that, um, that season of, of Lent. And as I mentioned earlier, it really revolves around this idea of repentance, which is a word that, not to get too high and theological, but it sounds kind of icky, doesn't it? Repent. And there's something in you, like when you, when you hear that, you think, I wish we didn't have to think about that and talk about that. And um, there's, there's something about it that sounds very unfun. It seems like life is about joy, and we know where this is going, and we know about forgiveness, and we know about Easter. So why do we really need to stop and think on our sin and our need to repent before a holy and almighty God? Well, there's a reason that the church historically has stopped down, and this season of Lent has said, stop, slow down, and think on your sin, and think about repenting before you get to the cross. And I think it can be summed up very simply like this, that if we don't understand the greatness of our sin, we will never understand the greatness of our salvation. If we don't understand the greatness of our sin, we will never understand the greatness of our salvation that God has made for us through Jesus Christ. And so that's why the church fathers, that's why it's in the calendar, that's why we do this, is so we can remember how great our salvation is. And you and I need to repent. God never needs to repent. You and I do. And you heard it read, King David even did once as well, multiple times probably, but one in particular I'll refer to um, here tonight. You heard it in Psalm 51. And you might know the story, but if you don't, David saw this woman Bathsheba out bathing on her roof, and he was the king, and he told some of the guys, bring her to me. Now, the end result is she was pregnant, and she was going to have a child, and and he got word, and he said, "Uh, let's go get her husband, who's fighting a war for me, bring him back, and let him be here with his wife for a little bit, and then he'll go back to fight, and then when the baby gets here, everybody will say, oh, Uriah and Bathsheba had a baby, and David gets off scot-free. Well, Uriah comes back, and if you know the story, he doesn't go in to be with Bathsheba. He says, I'm not going to go in with my wife while my men are out in the battlefield, and so he sleeps outside. So David went, well, that plan didn't work. And so here's another plan. Let's tell my officers to take Uriah, go out to where, with him and just a few guys, where the fighting is the fiercest, and then right when it gets fierce, pull back, and then Uriah will be killed. And then I will take Bathsheba, she'll be my wife, and I will be benevolent King David. That's his plan. Well, eventually what happens is a prophet named Nathan gets word of this and understands what's going on. And he goes into King David, excuse me, and rebukes King David. And David, in response, I'm just going to do a couple verses from Psalm 51. He writes Psalm 51. That's what you heard read. And watch what he does. Watch how he repents. He says, I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. What he's saying is, I am very aware of the specificity of my sin. We did a corporate time of confession, and those are pretty broad brushstrokes that we talked about. My, my sin is too heavy to bear. I am, I am sinful. We, we said some, some broad things. This is David, and, and really in the Hebrew, it's very specifically, he's saying, I know what I did wrong. He knows specifically. 
When we think about sin, it's better to not just think broad brushstrokes about, I, I, I know that I, that I make mistakes, but to think, I did this, and I shouldn't have. This is how sin manifested itself in my life very specifically. I've, I've had times in my marriage where I've apologized, and my wife has said, do you know what you're apologizing for, what you're sorry for? And I have said, I do not, <laughs> but I'm sorry nonetheless. And what do you think happens? Well, I want you to understand the kind of where, where the wounded, like what, what hurt so you can offer, so it can actually work towards healing and things. And so to be specific with an individual, specific with God is healthy for that relationship. We tend to, we tend to say things like, oh, I, I struggle with finances or I struggle with lust or pride or envy or I struggle finding my self-worth in something else. Struggle is um, usually a sign that you just opened up a big old junk drawer and you're going to be very, very broad in what you say. Instead of thinking very specifically about your sin, that's how we repent. And then it's not just, and I'm sure you heard this, it's not just what we've done, it's who is offended by our sin, who we have offended by our sin. And you probably caught this in verse four. He says in this poetic book, he says, against you, speaking to God, you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Meaning, I sinned against you and so you are rightly just to be mad at me, God. I need to repent to you. But it is interesting when he says, against you, you only have I sinned. Because I can think of other people he sinned against. He sinned against Bathsheba. What about Uriah? What about everybody that was involved that he made them lie for this cover-up? What about the soldiers that were sent with Uriah that were killed that wouldn't have been if David wasn't trying to cover up his sin. Maybe he sinned against them as well. What about just being the king? He set a really horrible example in the kingdom if word starts to get out. Think about you know, parents with kids. Did King David really do this? And then now all of a sudden you're, um, you know, he set that negative example. And so you go, is it, is, it's, he says against you and you only, but I'm going, what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about the others that had to lie? What about the soldiers that got killed? What about their families as well? They paid a price. What about the horrible example that's set now in, in the kingdom? And when we read this, we need to read it as poetry like it is. And so when he says against you and you only, um, picture it in this poetic nature. He's really saying against you, first and foremost, against you, primarily I have sinned. He's not trying to say, well, whatever about those people, they should be fine. What he's saying is first and foremost, God, this is an offense against you instead of them. That's how we repent. If you think about how we repent, how you go and express your sorrow today, we tend to do it interpersonally and sometimes forget the reason we, we've erred anyway is because God has decreed it to be something that is worthy of our repentance. What's the big deal? I think it's a very big deal. I started thinking about if all I do when I sin is I see it against others, against friends or family, and I take God out of the equation then think about this. I've erred against somebody else, and um, let's say uh, he needs to now forgive me, but in our interactions, I know 
that he sins as well. In fact, if we're close, he's probably hurt me before. He's had some things he's had to apologize to me. I apologize to him. And so we're on equal footing and it's kind of a back and forth kind of thing. He'll probably hurt my feelings at some point and I'll hurt his again. And this isn't the last time. And it's really difficult to, um, to have full, total forgiveness if all you do, in fact, I'd say it's impossible, if you just think of this dimension. David starts out and says, against you, O God, have I sinned? In fact, I could patch something up here and go, well, that was good. That relationship is healed. I've adequately repented and acknowledged my sin and turned from it. And if I, if I don't remember God, I can do all that, feel good about myself, and never think about God or his cross. When we sin, it is first and foremost against God. But the other piece, if there's someone here, and I've, I've um, sinned against them as well, and that's the only thing I see. I forget that I've ultimately sinned against God. They're not going to be able to perfectly forgive me like God can in Jesus Christ. And so as a result, this will never be perfect. I will, I will take on guilt. I won't be able to live fully, feeling fully forgiven because I know the inadequacies of human beings to just fully forgive one another. But if I know first and foremost I have sinned against God, if they don't forgive me, they can't put a guilt trip on me, I know that I am forgiven before Almighty God. One of the reasons why I think this is difficult is, uh, or one of the reasons I think we need to remember that we've sinned against God is when we forget that and everything just becomes the horizontal and not the vertical when it comes to um, asking forgiveness, it makes us forget that we are ultimately accountable, not to the people just next to us, but ultimately to God himself. And that's one of the reasons why today we talk about the justice of God, the wrath of God against sin. And it just feels so, ugh, so off-putting to talk in those terms. And some of that is because we've just made, let's just make our relationships all work instead of thinking, first and foremost, I'm a follower of God and I have broken his holy law and I have sinned against him. And this is what Ash Wednesday is supposed to do is to make us stop, to make us refocus a little bit and think about our sins against Almighty God. In just a few moments, we'll come up and you can... Um, you can take communion, and then if you'd like, you can also have, we call it the imposition of ashes. We'll show you that in just a moment. <clears throat> but what, what Ash Wednesday is supposed to do is say, we remember our own mortality. From ashes you came to ashes you will return. Because of our sin in the world, the just penalty for that is death. Ashes to ashes. And then the other piece is in the Old Testament especially, they would, as a sign of repentance, they would put ashes. They would be in sackcloth. Usually we're not doing that, but we put ashes on as a symbol and a sign of repentance. It's an outward sign of a sorrowful heart. And I know sometimes you can think, boy, repentance can just make me feel, if we just think about between birth and the grave, we walk around knowing our need to repent. Man, I'm just going to walk around feeling like a failure gosh, that's all I'm doing is thinking about my sin. This is supposed to spur us to our absolute greatest joy because we have a rightful judge that stands over us, over all the earth, and we can be fully forgiven because the one we go to is capable of doing so. And when we have moments like this and we stop and we remember our sin, we remember our salvation. Because I'll say again, if we don't understand the greatness of our sin, we will never understand the greatness of our salvation. If we don't understand the greatness of our sin, 
we will never understand the greatness of our salvation. In just a moment, we'll come forward and take communion. Uh, if you would like, if you're, if you're new, we have several new people. You can come down here and we'll have some um, stations up here where you can take communion. And then we'll have a couple people on the side that if you would like to receive ashes, you are um, welcome to do that. Um, parents with kids, we're, they're going to take cues from you on what you want to do with communion and the ashes. And um, as you receive the ashes, if you would like to, <clears throat> they'll say something to you like, Remember that from dust you came, and to dust you will return. If you're like me, you're tempted to hit the fast-forward button and get to Easter. Let's remember today our sin and our need for repentance, because if we don't understand the greatness of our sin, we'll never understand the greatness of our salvation.